Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Masters of Modern. Uh, I am here with my co-host, Glenn Jones. Hello, everyone. How's it going? And Jimmy Wong. Special guest. What's up? So uh, today we're going to be talking about Modern Masters 2. We're going to be doing some speculating on what that is possible. We think it's coming soon to you guys and to us, and so we want to have Ooh. a little conversation about it. Coming to an LGS near you. Yeah. Could be, could be. Um, and then uh, we're going to end it up with a deck tech. Today's deck tech is going to be on Blue, White, Red, Control for Modern. Ooh. One of my favorite archetypes. Oh, yeah. I, I've played that archetype in more PTQs and, and GPs than I think. I can I tell by how worn out your sleeves are that you <laughs> play that one the most. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I need to change those before I go to another tournament with it. But, all right. So let's kind of get into it. Well, before we dive into Modern Masters 2, I think we should probably give a, a little loose idea of what Modern Masters 1 was. Uh, right. Just right, as, right. as an intro. Best booster pack to open ever. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I Certainly up there. I don't think in the history of packs I've ever, like, Felt more comfortable opening a pack than Modern Masters one. Right, just for straight value, value potential. Yeah, I don't think I ever lost money opening a pack. It was a good trip down nostalgia lane too. So, right. so Modern Masters one was a a reprint set. Uh, it was also priced a little up there because it was a limited print run, which meant there was right. not as much of it around. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a reprint set specifically for modern. It was focusing on cards that are played in the format, uh, cards that are maybe too expensive, or cards right. that are especially interesting, and, and kind of driving their price down, making the format more available and accessible. And it really worked in that regard. Right. And, and, and we talked about this in previous episodes, but you know, the reason that modern was created is so that they can kind of allow for the prices of the format to be a little lower because they can reprint cards in the format. Mm -hmm. um, and so Modern Masters was the original, hey, look, we're completely willing to do this. Check it out. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, the set. And they kind of did a good job. And they were, you know, one of the worries was uh, that it would be similar to the older set that was printed that was also a giant reprint, which was... Chronicles. Chronicles. And Chronicles kind of decimated the card market. And <laughs> it was really the reason that uh, the reserve list was originally created. And so they didn't want to kind of make the exact same mistake. So they did, they were really, really, really tentative about, you know, printing too much of the format, which also made it really expensive. Um, but what it did do is kind of it, it, enough people got it into the format and, and got excited because of it that it kind of blew up modern as a format in general. Yeah, we talked about Tarmogoy specific, specifically last episode uh, as an example. And it was a card that, you know, was very high priced before Modern Masters came out, got reprinted, and its price only ballooned from there. Yeah. Uh, because so many more people were playing the format thanks to the accessibility created by right. the Modern Master set. So really a masterstroke from, from Wizards Mark yeah. in this regard. I mean, it, what it comes down to, if I own a tar Tarmogoyf in a Modern Masters pack, I now need to get four of them because I'm going to want <laughs> to play that card that I just opened. So it really encourages more people to actually want Tarmogoyfs than it did to hinder yeah. the need for them. Yeah. Beyond that, you know, it's something we're going to go into today is kind of what modern masters one was also well for a brand new player if you opened it every single booster pack had a guaranteed foil in it instead of sort of the reserve spot for a land right also it just had money cards in it karma Goyf, obviously dark confidant vendillion click just a lot of like super awesome mythic rares and just rares across the board like staples that you would want to either potentially open a foil for or just like couldn't have access to because a lot of these cards are pretty hard to get in general. Like, when are you going to open the Tarmogoyf in a future site pack? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going right. to get that. Right, right. Yeah. Out outside of even just that, like, the cards are, you know, literally mythic in a regard. Like, not just mythic rares, right, but they're the kind right. of cards that you hear about or that articles constantly mention or compare other cards to. So, getting like a direct hands on experience with these right. older, yeah. really powerful cards is 
really cool. And a limited format is also a place that kind of balances them out so people can enjoy right. them without you know needing to be super invested. And I think Modern Masters limited format, which is the biggest way it really differentiated from a set like Chronicles, yeah. uh, owes a lot to that because it was a very draftable set. It was constructed specifically for that purpose. And I think that that's actually like the majority of the enjoyment was derived right. from yeah. that format. I know it's one of my favorite limited formats right. of all time. I think, Easily my top five. I think collectively, like it's agreed, Modern Masters 1 is one of the top draft formats ever created. Yeah. I think it's up there with Innistrad, Triple Innistrad, and uh, Rise of the Eldrazi, and Original Ravnica, where these, these sets that, like, the strat the depth of what you can do in mm -hmm. the format, like, go anywhere from doing the archetypes that they built, and we'll go into some yeah. of the archetypes they built, to completely new things of, like, Storm with all of the colors, or Domain Dredge, or these, you know, multiple yeah. archetypes mushing together into these super powerful kind of really fun decks to play. And they're built around, because it's all about nostalgia, because it's about cards that existed already, there's less of a need to kind of figure out how to balance new cards for standard. And it's more about let's right. go balls to the walls and do the best that we possibly can. Yeah, and almost every single card, even if it was like the last pick in the pack, was playable, which is pretty rare. Like, I, oftentimes, I, whenever I drafted, it would be like the 12th, 13th pick. I'd be like, I could definitely play this. Right. Yeah. Well, And that's, and that's the power kind of level something that they high. decided to do with the format is they decided to, you know, some of the color archetypes, some of the, the two colors. So each two color archetype had a different draft strategy built into it. And when you do that, it allows for some cards to be like, well, if I'm playing Rebels, I want every Rebels cards, but if no mm -hmm. one else is playing it, they don't want them. The Rebels are just completely useless Right, they're to garbage them. otherwise. So they're not going to be high picking them, so I have a chance later picks to get them. Same with the Affinity decks where, like, mm -hmm. There's, mm -hmm. you know, one-cost artifacts with mar modular one-ones that no one wants, but for my deck are great, and so I'm going to be able to pick those up later and making it so my draft archetypes are going to work a little bit better. Yeah, I think that really when people ask me to describe the, na the nature of the format and how it's constructed, I compare it to, like, Ravnica or Return to Ravnica, which had, you know, these strategy-specific two-color pairs right. uh, mm -hmm. going on across the set, and also Cube, where you have that density of playables. You know, you're not wheeling cards that are just bad. Right. Uh, everything's, like, pretty reasonable, yeah. And there are all these very powerful cards from Magic's history. So it kind of has a feel of both of those things going on. And those are, you know, two of my favorite formats as well. So right. it, it made the format very attractive. Well, and, and, you know, this kind of draft format construction it really lends itself to people deciding ahead of time what they want to do and being able to mm -hmm. kind of like stick with the game plan and go for it. And yeah. that's often more, more, more often the time when draft formats are the most... The most rewarding. <laughs> ah, yes. That's true. Um, yeah, because someone to the right of you could be drafting the same colors as you, and you guys will never pick the same cards. Right. You're always drafting a deck and not a pile of cards, which is, right. that I find is, is a very rewarding experience. Right, right. Yeah, so you yeah. want to get to the end of the draft and be like, this is cool. I built something. Yeah, right. I built <laughs> synergy. Like, it's yeah. not like, M like M15 or, or limited drafts for especially core sets have always been like, good stuff, try to have a curve, where this is this was definitely much more of a... Like, there is a plan. I'm going to do Storm. I'm not going to do right. I will have no creatures. All my spells are going to be about chaining spells and getting a giant goblin army to kind of swing to <laughs> and attack my opponent. Um, and Modern Masters was obviously one of the most popular draft formats of all time. We've said that, and it was, you know, really kind of hammered home by the Modern Masters Grand Prix in Las Vegas. Right, which is which still the largest Still GP the record of all holder time. for largest GP of all time. It, it capped at 4,500. I think they had less than that actually playing come round one because a lot of people opened their Tarmogoyf and said Sayonara. Right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, definitely one of the, certainly the largest Magic tournament that, you know, has ever been held. Right. And it's probably not getting topped anytime especially soon yeah no i mean it, what it comes down to and we'll 
go into this a little bit, but it looks like there's going to be multiple Modern Masters to GPs if mm-hmm. it is happening when we think it's going to happen. Right. So the reason that this one was so big was it was the, really the only one that I know of. And on top of that, it was in Las Vegas, which happens to be this very easy destination city that yeah. like very, it, like the city itself subsidizes mm-hmm. flights to the city. So yeah. it's much easier to get to than most other yeah. places. And, and Wizards had steered clear of Las Vegas for a really long time. Uh, they'd held Grand Prix there before, uh, in fact, when I was in middle school, I won a Grand Prix trial for Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> um, so that's about how long ago it was. Right. Considering a lot of pro Magic players are also poker players, I find that surprising. But well, they yeah, want it's, it- That's the, the association they kind of don't want. So they'd, right. they'd steered clear for a while, but eventually... Uh, and I think part of it was the SCG Open Series started going to Vegas, and those tournaments were very well-run and successful, mm-hmm, and right. they, they didn't have any issues. And I think that kind of created a... Um, okayed it with the community at large and, right. and created this positive right. impression and I'm happy for that so they went to Vegas had this gigantic tournament and now one of the reasons we think Modern Masters 2 is pretty likely is you know we have these GPs on the schedule that don't have a right. format May, announced coming around summertime May 30th mm-hmm. so May mm-hmm. 30th they're, they've announced they announced the GP schedule at the Pro Tour for yep. 15 and uh, there are three unnamed un, like mystery location GPs um, on May 30th all limited format and the other interesting factor is that they actually moved up uh, set releases for the f- winter and fall, uh, winter and spring sets. Mm-hmm. So instead of normally um, what is now Fate Reforged coming out in February, February third, February fourth, it is now coming out middle of January. And right. And the set that normally comes out in May is now coming out in April, March. And so this huge move of formats, plus the fact that there's these weird mystery GPs that are existing, and they pointed them out as mystery GPs during the the, mm-hmm. the broadcast of the Pro Tour, leads a lot of people to believe that Modern Master 2 is on the horizon. I do want to add that there are also three modern GPs following up in the summer. So right, that right. kind of also maybe incentivizes, hey, right. people are going to be thinking about this format. I wonder why that would be. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that running three GPs, uh, like that really close the the modern the potential modern masters two GPs right is, is an interesting way to try and fight off that forty five hundred player tournament as well right because you know you've got three events out. cannibalizing each other people right. flew in from Europe to play in GPs right, right, right. so Louise. you know you put one over there maybe people don't do something that crazy right, right. well and, and I mean they didn't have enough judges in the northern hemisphere to do mm-hmm. GP Vegas <laughs> they had to fly people in from like many other countries just to be able to handle the amount of players it right. was almost unsustainable. Um, I, I think that it was unsustainable. Right. I think that nobody yeah. wants that tournament to happen again. Right. Really. 4, like, even the people is... counting the money at the end of the day are just like, that was maybe not worth it. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so before we get into um, the Modern Masters 2, we want to kind of go through the deck archetypes for Modern Masters 1 and explain you know, what those were so that when we get to Modern Masters 2, we can go and talk about, because one of the things we're going to do is go into what we think the different deck archetypes or two-color combinations will Might be, be right. in the future. Um so blue white is affinity, right? Um, so it's an artifact. We kind of explained what the deck does in the first episode of the podcast, but it's all about getting as many artifacts on the board yep. and key all cards. the cards. Key cards have synergies with each other. Ethereum sculptor makes every artifact cost one less. Arcbound ravager. Um, there's synergy with the you know they they actually are using a lot of the actual mechanics from um, Mirrodin block, which you know the deck no longer actually does. So they have a lot of modular cards, a lot of what, low cost artifacts. They're playing all of the actual. Like free affinity cards, so mm-hmm. they have Frogmite and Mirror Enforcer. Mirror Enforcer. So like you know, Mirror Enforcer is a card that it's seven to play it normally, but with affinity, it's a free four four eventually. Right. And so it's you know it, the the deck can power out these really cheap costed artifacts really quickly. What they really yeah. did, and it was kind of smart, was they pilfered affinity from both the original 
uh, affinity sets, the mirrored imp block, and also uh, shards of Alara with the Esper right. cards. Yeah, right. Because the the issue with affinity, and it was an issue that obviously affected constructed, uh, was you know affinity in mirrored imp block was all about playing creatures really cheaply and quickly, and that was it. That was like your whole focus, which is swarming the board. Right. Right. Uh, whereas shards of Alara had Esper, which was artifact focused. But it was like you get paid for playing with artifacts. Not all of your cards don't cost anything anymore right. or whatever. Right, right. So by merging those two things together, they created a really cool deck. You know, you didn't need artifact lands uh, like you did in Mirrored and Block. Instead, mm-hmm. you had things like Fairy Mechanist or Sanctum Gargoyle. Fairy Mechanist impulses for a, an artifact, and right. Sanctum Gargoyle brings them back from the grave. So these cards pay you for playing with a deck that's completely filled with artifacts by yeah. giving you a lot of value and ways to reuse your best cards. And that's exactly how the deck kind of formed. Instead of being the Swarm-style deck, it was all about accruing value, right. getting a right. lot of synergy going. And, and Esperzo, as I mentioned before, a t- two and a blue for a 4-3 flyer that lets you return an artifact to your hand every turn. Right. And I say lets you. That's not a drawback. Yeah, yeah, things like Fairy Mechanist and Sanctum Gargoyle. Right. The next archetype we're going to go into is uh, Rebels, which is the white-black draft archetype. Um, Rebels are a creature type that, you know, classically, they're originally from Arcania Mass Box, but then they were printed in Time Spiral Block. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they do is they're, you know, low-cost efficient creatures that can then tap for four mana to search for the next level of converted mana cost. So in Modern Masters, most of them were two drops that searched for three drop uh, Rebel cards. And there happened to be a lot of very powerful three drop Rebel, well, not necessarily powerful, but very value-oriented yeah. three drop Rebel yeah. cards. It was a set. smart shift in Modern Masters because originally... Uh, in Mercadian Mass, Rebels were printed with... They, they were against Mercenaries, which were a black right. tribe that was very similar. Uh, but Mercenaries searched for creatures cheaper than themselves by one, and Rebels searched for creatures more expensive than themselves right. by one. Uh, naturally, it's pretty easy to see which of those is going to be better because right. nobody <laughs> wants to make their board worse turn, <laughs> uh, at, at the cost of an increase in mana. So by shifting the Rebels down and not including that huge emphasis on searching and being able to chain your way all the way up into six drops for free, essentially... Right. Uh, they managed to create a format that was more about creatures and value and less about like, oh, my deck is busted. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and, and it kind of worked well with the because Modern Masters One had such a high tribal component in the deck. It used uh, a mechanic that belongs to Shapeshifters from Lorwyn Block, which mm-hmm. allow th- these are cards that have every creature type. Um, changelings. Changelings, and and yeah. and it's based off of a, a legendary called Misform Elemental, which is just that he just has the original creature that was all creature types. Misform Ultimus. No, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Misform Ultimus, and um, these are some of my favorite cards in the set too because they work for all the tribal. All the, all the, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, they're really like they're the role players of the format because they're the glue for the, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. tie everything. Right, right, and almost every deck you almost pick them really highly because almost every deck is interested right. in them. And, you know, there's a 2-2 flyer. A lot of them have evasion. There's um, a the guy that red guy that pumps war spike changing. Strike, first strike. First strike. First, first strike. strike. Yeah. Right. So Bull like, giant against first strike. Very good. You know, these cards are the glue held together. So it allows rebels to kind of, and a lot of them are three drops. So it lets rebels search them out. It lets some of the other archetypes, giants, fairies, yeah. uh, goblins, to kind of do cheaper things or whatever. With their, yeah. with their yeah. It also keeps the set size down, you know, because when right. you have a mm-hmm. bunch of different tribes crossing into, you know, obviously you're sharing tribal colors with a lot of these guys, uh, a changeling goes into both decks. Like, you know, the white-red, which we're going to get to soon, giants, they, you know, they can share avian changeling with rebels. You don't need mm-hmm. to print right. a giant and a rebel. Uh, right, right, right. 
makes them high, a little bit more value too, especially because in the oh, yeah. giant stack you don't really have many flyers. So the avian changeling is pretty important. What it winds up meaning is that you often have to take changelings higher yeah. uh, than the cards you want. For example, you know maybe assault field recluse might be more important to your rebel deck because he's a rebel you can search out, but an right. avian changeling you're never gonna see that yeah. one wheel. So you may want to go for the changeling. Right. Yeah. So okay, after rebels uh, is giants, which is a much more straight. Very straightforward. Forward. You play a lot of giants. There are cards that are lower cost that either make giants cheaper mm-hmm. or um, will you know get bonuses for having giants. And Some cards can't even attack or block without giants out, but they're very cheap otherwise. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best. The, blind spot the really, the really, the important giant card. Thundercloud is Shaman. Thundercloud Shaman. Yeah. Which Hits the board and then does damage to every non-giant creature equal to the number of giants you control. Right. Essentially a board wipe if you have like five giants out, <laughs> you're going to destroy the board. Right. It, it, it's really the big motivating force for why you play that format. So you, you're playing this card so that you can literally play it and win pretty much that yep. same time. Yeah, swing in for the... I yeah. think giants, interestingly, were one of the uh, archetypes that remained the least changed from the last time we saw them. And I think part of that is, you know, there haven't been a lot of giant-themed right. tribal sets. Right, right, right. Uh, so Lorwyn Block had pretty much all of the giants that we saw come around this time already. Right. Uh, which, you know, included the Blind Spot Giant, which we already talked about, 3-mana 4-3. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thundercloud Shaman, obviously. The Changelings are, in fact, from Lorwyn Block originally. Right. And even uh, Kithkin Greatheart, which is the white card that kind of pairs you into white right. uh, alongside all those giants, uh, is a Kithkin right. from Lorwyn Block originally, right. and right. it gets boosted. So to go through the next, uh, I'm going to just finish off all the tribal. Uh, Goblins, which was red-black. Right. Um, this is a format that I, I actually personally think wasn't as consistent at actually being pulled off as something like Rebels or Giants was. Um, because I don't think, partly, and it very well could be this, is that they actually didn't include the black changeling. They included the blue one, which was there for fairies. But mm-hmm. fairies, there was no other blue tribal card, but there was a black one. So it was right. weird that this specific color combination didn't really get a, a secondary changeling. That kind of let it kind of have a much deeper card pool available to them, along with the fact that I think this format didn't really lend itself to non-super synergetic aggro situations when, you know, affinity mm-hmm. is beating you down. These other things are just valuing out goblins where it's like, you're just going to attack you doesn't really work as well as they probably wanted. Yeah. I liked goblins a fair bit. It was one of the archetypes I enjoyed drafting, although I'd all, often splice it into other decks right. uh, because right. Warren Pilfer's uh, which was probably the largest incentive to be goblins is a uh, essentially a grave digger for goblins right. uh, and get a grave digger for anything but gains haste when you grave digger a goblin. Yeah, and Mad Auntie too that gives mm-hmm. everyone plus one every goblin plus one plus one you can regenerate. Yeah, and, and regenerates also yeah. very strong. So there there were definitely incentives to be in there, uh, and, and it is kind of interesting that they didn't get a changeling. But the archetype yeah. again, you know, they really paid homage to Lorwyn with it. it. It functioned very similarly to how goblins functioned back then. Yeah. Right. So, you know, not, nothing too crazy. I think that Tar Pitcher became uh, pretty good in this set in contrast to Lauren Block, where it was fine. But uh, right. in this set, when you had to fight off all those flyers from Affinity, you really kind of wanted to be able to throw your guys and shock things around. And right, right. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'd say definitely the biggest problem with goblins is that there's just so many other bigger bodies that can very often advantageously face off against their goblins. You like get the wrong matchup, or they just fly over your head. Yeah, you could like, definitely get stunted by the Thalys in green, or by you know Saltfield Recluse from the Rebel deck, and it mm-hmm. would make it kind of difficult to get in there in combat. Right. Which is one of the reasons I, I really liked Tar Pitcher because kind of let you break up those situations. Yeah, right. Yeah. So th- there's two more tribal decks left um, in Modern Master Shoes. The next is Fairies, which is the blue black dropped archetype. Um, Fairies is very much you know it's similar to the original one. It is has less of a focus on flash than I think the original time it was in Lorwyn. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, though it does have cards like Pestermite and Spellstar Splite, which Pestermite is. Um, 
a constructed all-star where what it does is it comes to play it can untap or tap another target permanent right um this normally combos with kiki jiki which happens in modern masters one uh, yeah. on on occasion um but you know it, it more often it's just a really like it's a strong flash to one flyer that you know comes down and has an effect um the other major flash card is spell Star sprite which counters a target spell equal to uh, convert mana cost less than how many fairies you right. control. The terror of Lorwinier standing in bitter blossom. Not to mention he's just, he can flash him in. So. Oh yeah, I mean it's a flash one one, and every time you get value by countering a spell, that's huge. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and a you one get the body. Is, you know not to be underestimated. You only have twenty life. I don't know if you guys know, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, soon that will be nineteen and eighteen and seventeen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> other cards that are important like marsh flitter which was kind of just a big body on the ground very in the powerful it also um, had some crossover with that goblin right yeah yeah um and you know this is also one of the archetypes that weirdly had a lot of support at the rare and mythic level um so there was a lot more reasons to be pushed into this format based off of the packs you open right they had things like vendillion click which was mythic they had sign of una they had una queen of the fey they had glenelunder archmage which some of these cards are good in general but they also are putting you contribute in blue and, tribe, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, contributing to this tribe. So you, there, there's a more likely that you'd open a pack and be like, oh, I got Sign of Una. I'm just going to draft all the fairies versus other tribal decks where it was much more of an uncommon and common game. Yeah, right, um, right. And then I guess the last of the tribal decks, which is probably the least tribally is the word I'm going <laughs> to use. <laughs> Domain. <laughs> which is the, uh, no, 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 fungus tokens. Oh, phallids. Yeah, phallids. yeah. Um, and more because it, they have this weird double tribe where they're really a sapperling tribal deck, but all of their creatures that you're casting are phallids. Right. And yeah. the basic idea of phallids is put spore counters on phallids at a certain number of spore counters. They pop off and become one one little sapperling. Right. Yep. And one of my masters came out, I was like, oh, I was really excited that I get to play with this archetype. That like, Right. And, and classically, it's not very good because it's all about having a giant board presence and one player plays a board wipe and you're just out of the game. Yeah. Also, it's about keeping your creatures in play, which generally, if you can do that, you're in good shape anyway. Yeah, you're going right. to be winning so. anyway, yeah. Um, so it's a weird archetype that, like... So what it ended up being is more that these Thalids played more role players for other archetypes a yeah. lot of the times. Mm -hmm. and, and part of the thing that kept it you know, somewhat strong is that green... Other one of Green's main mechanics in this set was domain, and so its entire motivation is to get a lot of colors. So it made it really easy to splash off of green white, right? To, like really play a different game plan that just had some value engines that are just built into the way you were doing. Yeah, you really wound up playing the Thalids more because they were just like reasonable bodies, like mm -hmm. Thalid Germinators, a three mana two two that every now and then gives you a plus one plus one at instant speed. That's handy, right? Uh, right. Spore Sword Thalid four mana four four that every now and then is making some one ones also helps right. other Thalids. Yeah, that's also handy, and they really pulled from the time spiral revisitation to Thalids in this, but they removed the thing that essentially, you know, paid you off the most, which was Sprout Swarm, which right. was like the least fun limited experience of right, all time. Right, right. Just <laughs> filling the board with tokens. But in doing so, they definitely made Thalids more of a traditional creature curve style deck right. that just occasionally generated value, as opposed to, you know, you compare it to the tribe like Rebels, which is like my card gets value. That's what right, it does. Right, That's right. what like it's direct for. Right. Yeah. So now that we're done with all the tribal, let's get, I just mentioned it, uh, Domain, which was originally meant to be the blue-green archetype, but the thing with Domain is that... Do you want to have as many basic land types as possible? It's not a specific color archetype. It's, yeah. it's, it's really the, the, let's splash as many colors as possible right. and really get down in there. So Domain rewards you for having different basic land types. One of the biggest cards is like Tromp the Domains, uh, where you creatures get plus one, plus one for every basic land type you control, which is just like a, a huge overwhelm if you have five basic lands out. That's like plus five, plus five across yep. the board. That's, right. You're gonna win every matchup in that case if you if you can get get that off. Also, it, it paired really well with Sunburst, 
uh, which mm-hmm. was right. a big, uh, just basically creatures come into play with more counters based on how many basic land types right. you use and to play it. Or, I mean, how much uh, different mana, not basic land types in this case. All-Star being Etched Oracle, who, you know, is, is a four-cost thing where it if it has four counters on it, you can remove four counters. It's an artifact. Mm-hmm. And you draw four cards. And you, draw, which, you draw three cards. Oh, yeah. But it's also target player. Yes. Uh, some of us right. at the table have been known to deck the occasional opponent <laughs> with Etched Oracle. Also, some of us at the table have been known to not be able to deck the opponent because Sunburst was bugged on Magic Online. Ooh. <laughs> so. That seems like one of those things that just it makes sense it was bugged on Moto. <laughs> so, you know, the, the deck is all about getting as many colors as possible. It has some of the more efficient removal if you can pull it off oh, yeah. with Tribal Flames Tribal Flames down. Um, Tribal Flames in general can also just outright kill a player real quick because it ends up that five damage to a person's face for two mana is very strong. Yeah. So I've heard. And this archetype <laughs> was supplemented pretty interestingly, actually, by the uh, the Vivid Lands. Yeah. Which Vivid Lands really pay you off for, you know, wanting to splash other colors. They help you out in that regard. But they also don't actually help you with Domain. So right. <laughs> it's kind of like a very strange tension uh, going yeah. on there. They help you with Sunburst, but not Domain. Right. Which is interesting. So... But those are they're great lands. They just come into play tap with two charge counters on it, and you can tap to if it's it's a certain color, or you can tap to remove a charge counter for any color. Yeah, every limited format needs a, some kind of form of mana fixing, and in this regard, they chose to you know go for a land that isn't you know widely played in the modern format. Instead, right. it's right. just like this is a limited oriented only kind of thing, and it worked yeah. the last time, right. so why not? And mm-hmm. it, it, and they saw standard play. I mean, it, it, they have seen premier yeah, play they're not, before. They're not terrible cards, and, they're just, and yeah. they're just in modern the mana fixing is just. Yeah above and beyond right. the level that it, they become. You would never want to draw a land on turn nine that's going to come into play tapped. You would never <laughs> want to draw a land on turn nine at all. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, precisely. Other than Celestial Gimmo Colonnade, play, yeah. my good friend. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, maybe, some, maybe an Ink Moth Nexus. So um, the next archetype is the green-black one, which is the Dredge archetype. So Dredge is... One of the more broken mechanics in Magic because it actually allows you to control your draw step, which is obviously the most random element in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so dredge, when a card is in your graveyard and has the dredge ability, you can, instead of drawing that card, dredge whatever number it has, which puts that number of cards from your library into your graveyard. And then you return that card to your hand. So, for example, the the primary offender, Golgari Grave Troll, uh, he's a giant troll. Right. He has dredge six. Instead of drawing a card, you can simply return him to your hand and mill six cards from your and library. And he's banned in modern. He is banned in modern for no gosh darn reason. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would do anything. Right. The thing you'll need to learn is most people at this table love the dredge mechanic to some extent and would yeah. love to play with well, it I'm, I'm, I'm a graveyard fanatic. I right. love to yeah. get value Same. out of the graveyard. So it, it's a big deal for me. Well, it's like um, you get to see your deck and you're using your, your graveyard as your deck. And it's like, what better yeah. to see? Like, look, all these cards I can see face up, and I can choose which one I want uh, and return right. them. Amazing. Well, and, and, and the reason they're banned is because in Eternal Legacy formats and, and Vintage, they, they use them in much more of a combo I can win bet- before the third turn kind mm-hmm. of way that's very linear and not played in a way that's really fun to play against. But in Modern, if they were legal, it wouldn't be played in a similar way because the cards that make that engine kind of work aren't available. It'd be a much more grindier, and the decks that exist are much more grindier mm-hmm. and much more about gaining int- incremental value off of them. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason Dredge was broken was they printed a card that's not a magic card. Right. From <laughs> right, right. So that's that's the real reason. But, but anyway, in this set, Dredge has the second best dredger available stinkweed imp right yep. uh, which is a one two flyer that has essentially death touch not quite it's right, kind of weird right. uh it's and like, he it feels like it's five. old wording on it it almost. is yeah. yeah 
so he's obviously a pretty handy, and he's a reasonable creature in and of right. himself, especially because flying is pretty important in the limited well, he, format. He's, he's probably one of the best defensive creatures also oh, yeah. in the format. Yeah. If you're not doing the dredge plan, but you just need a big wall in the way of people yeah, attacking you. Yeah, he gets in the way you. of something like Esperzoa. Right, you know, that's yeah. A big, that's a big deal. Um, so, and I would argue they actually have the third best dredge card as well, which is Light from the Loam, which is the best card for completely different reasons. Yeah, yeah. It, it does some interesting things. Uh, in this particular... Uh, world dredge you don't get paid the way you did before which was essentially with a lot of things like unearth and reanimating right, or whatever. Right. instead you get paid for the cards that you draw which actually creates a really weird tension because you have to get the card that's good with dredge and then stop drawing cards so if right. you're just dredging you know you're not necessarily going to be set up with the exception of worm harvest uh, which is a retrace card meaning you can cast it from your graveyard by discarding a land uh, functions pretty excellently alongside Life from the Loam. You can just kind of start fueling Worm Harvest, mm-hmm. making a bunch of 1-1s. One right. The but other big payoff is Tombstalker. 5-5 five, five Flyer for 8 mana, but you can Delve, which involves exiling cards from the graveyard in which order to cheapen all, them up. Which you all know about now, because oh, it's yeah. now currently in standard, I think, by the time this episode ah, releases. Yes. Maybe, yeah. Um, and... You know, Delve. This is there were originally only three cards with Delve printed, and Tombstalker is the kind of the big, the big baddie, the one that everyone kind of knows about. And you know, that's one of the rares that kind of puts you in this format. And Dredge, there, there actually ends up being a few rares that also kind of lead you into other colors. And we, as we talked about, because green is so much about fixing in this set, mm-hmm. sometimes um, it, it makes it kind of easy to accomplish. So like Knight of the Reliquary, which normally is just a value aggro card, you know, just like a good searching lands. But when you're dredging five lands every turn or a couple lands into your graveyard, uh, like just out of value, playing a three drop that ends up being a 10-10 straight out the bat seems to be pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, uh, and among that, Academy Ruins, which is another land um, that allows you to take artifacts from your graveyard and put them on top of your library. So if you mill these important artifacts, you can get them back. Yeah, everyone knows about yeah. Dredge Affinity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're playing all the color, all the colors, Etched Oracle comes in and starts oh, yeah. drawing lots oh, of yeah. cards or milling lots of cards. Yeah, and the Academy Ruins keeps you from decking in that particular right, type, which exactly. is yeah. handy. Uh, one of the weaknesses to Dredge, I think, in, in the format was it, you really wanted one of those rares or generally multiple of those rares right. to get yeah. paid for right, playing right. in the first place. So people didn't usually strive to get into the archetype. Right. Quote unquote the, archetype. Because it really was kind of a splashy kind of thing. Right, exactly. And I think the only time I ever played it religiously or like fully was at GP Vegas. Mm-hmm. And it's because I had Life from the Loam, Academy of Ruins, Night of the Reliquary, Worm Harvest, all of the dredgers. <laughs> like it was oh, like wow. the deck was made for me. I was like, I'm just gonna win all we, these matches. We did leave off one of the the big payoffs for Dredge, uh, which is Hirobi's Whisper. We mentioned it earlier and it's oh, an right. arcane spell uh, so you can splice it, but its splice cost involves exiling cards from the graveyard, right. four specifically. So it really pairs pretty nicely with Dredge in that regard because, you know, you can get a few uh, arcane spells and you can just start playing additional dark banishings every turn. Right, uh, right. You do have to have a swamp, so it does require you to commit actually to playing black. You well, it is one it black, black. <laughs> right. Yeah, but like you could otherwise, you know, really have like a, just a blue red deck with glacial right. rays and reach through mist or whatever and just every time you got four cards you're going thunk like. <laughs> yeah here comes uh, Roby's whisper right yeah speaking of blue red I guess we should go into storm right I think I think we're actually I think there's only really two more archetypes left and it's storm and storm yeah <laughs> which is uh, so it, what they did is interesting they actually tried putting storm in red green um, but it ends up because blue red just is a, the colors that are storm and right. they can't you can't really fight it and because the archetype they put in the 
blue-red was Splice onto Arcane, which kind of leads itself to playing a lot of spells in a single turn anyways. It ended up just being kind of a combination of blue-red, yeah, green. I think it was kind of a deliberate hybridization. I don't right. think anyone was thinking, no, these reach through Miscultural Red decks are definitely going to be all yeah. about that. Nobody's going to try and cast Empty the Warrens. Well, I'm pretty sure that's the voice Wizards has. Yeah, exactly. In Storm, um, for you guys that don't know, it's just a basic mechanic where you can double or copy a spell for every extra spell you've cast that turn. Yes. So, so it... it, it, it Pays you off for generating a critical mass. Pays you off for drawing a lot of cards. Uh, these are all things mm-hmm. that people love to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and it actually it's it's one of the most powerful mechanics ever printed. Wizards of the Coast has a scale that is named after the mechanic storm <laughs> of the things that are most likely to be reprinted back in the standard. Yeah. And the number ten, the second the least likely thing to ever come back to the standard is storm. Is storm. Uh, yeah. The number one is which is a joking eleven is bands with legends yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. That. I'm pretty sure I can guess right. that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, also just it, it makes very. I mean, like turns can take a long time because it's a lot of math. Right. It's a very sort of one side there, of the fair when someone's trying to figure out how to storm their yeah, way. Yeah, it's, to... it's not a fun experience because yeah. it's one player playing magic while the other one waits. Right. Wait, That's not good. Yeah, right. to see if he can get it to, I guess, finish the storm combo and get, yeah. you know, in this case, empty the warrants, get, you know, like 40 <laughs> goblins right, yeah. on the, the battlefield. The, the two or main storm cards in the set, and there's technically a third, but uh, Grape Shot, which is do one damage storm. So for two mana, you can, you know, no matter how many spells you played, you get a burn spell that does that much damage. Right. And then empty the warrants, which you get two goblin tokens for how many spells you played. And this is generally your main win condition because if you can pull off an empty of warrants, they either have to wipe the board the next turn or they're probably not winning. And it's worth right. pointing out that Grape Shot is modern powerful. Like it's good right. enough to see tier one play in modern. And Empty the Warrens is good enough to see tier one play in modern and legacy. So these right. are powerful cards. Yeah. Obviously in li- limited, you know, you're not going to have access to a lot of the things like, you know, uh, Desperate Ritual or Mana right. Morphos right. or. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, no, those cards are in this set. <laughs> <laughs> they're all here. Um, technically, just I'll bring it up. There is a third, but uh, Storm card and it's Dragon Storm. It is a rare <laughs> and it costs nine mana. Yeah, that's and not happening. What it lets you do is it gets you put any. Dr- a dragon from your deck into play for free for how many storm you have. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't really happen in this set because I think there's only five mythic rare dragons. There are five mythic rare dragons. However, I have completed the dragon storm checkpoint, which is dragon storm for two dragons. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So that, that storm deck was kind of entertaining, but not not something you want to uh, necessarily Strive pursue for, right. frequently. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the main archetypes for what Modern Masters 1 was. Um so I guess now it's time to get into Modern Masters 2 and some Ooh. of our predictions. Uh, most likely in the future, we'll be probably doing a few more Modern Masters podcasts. This is going to be your introductory one, which is why we've gone so deep into yeah. Modern Masters 1, kind of like reminded of the history. And you, you really future. want to be able to say, I called it. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. I really just want to be like, I called it Modern Masters 2 coming out this May, May 30th, three GPs, Modern Masters, get ready for it. Well, <laughs> I will see you there then, in that case, Alex. <laughs> so the... The main thing I guess we want to talk about, and the thing you guys are probably most interested in, is which rares we think are going to be in the set. Mm. Right. Um, and that means which sets are going to be reprinted. Right. So, yeah, I guess the first thing we want to talk about is, is so the original Modern Masters was every set from 8th edition up till uh, Shards of Alara block. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means everything from that point wasn't in there. And since it's been two years, the thought is that they're going to increase the barrier of what sets. And and one of the reasons they think that's also, or we think that's also going to happen, is that by moving it up two years, it opens up archetypes that weren't originally in the Modern Masters yes. and allows mm-hmm. for a lot more cards. And it'll be maybe a little bit more weighted to those two formats or three formats that they're going to introduce. Um, those those sets are possibly or blocks are Zendikar block, Scars of Mirrodin block, and possibly Innistrad block. 
Yeah, I, I think that it seems pretty inevitable for two reasons, uh, which you touched on. One is like a lot of the cards from those sets just are expensive and right. you want to be yeah. able to reprint them. Uh, and another reason is the limited format. You know, how many times can you, you know, redo right. modern through just the lens of that that kind of, t- kind of tiny window? And I think that the limited format for modern they display, they like to pull things that were popular in their respective limited formats in. And that's what they're looking to do with modern masters. So right. you definitely want to move back. And I think Innistrad especially has one of the most popular uh, to actually a few of the most popular things right. to do in limited of all time, which you know has this graveyard oriented, flashback oriented kind of theme going on. Mm-hmm. I think they would love to play with that again. Right. I, 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 and I mean, what it really comes down to if you're all you're adding is the two sets, you're really just adding a standard season mm-hmm. to the format. If you're adding three, you're actually increasing the card yeah. pool to such a greater level. Um, I actually personally think that they might try and stick to the two year rule just because it's only been two years and because on a resources for what they want the future of Modern Masters to be is that by saving Innistrad Block, that is such a big and important set that in two years from now or whatever long it takes for Modern Masters 3 mm-hmm. to come out, they would have some of these high-value, high-profile cards right. like Liliana and Snapcaster Mage yeah. and Avacyn and Grizzlebrand. Um, the concern is really, you know, they want Modern to be an affordable format. They, they've certainly right. shown that Modern Masters in and of itself is proof they want Modern to be affordable. And the reprinting of Fetchlands in Cons of Tarkir from uh, Onslaught Block you know, we've got that much confirmed, and that's right. certainly going to increase the affordability of modern as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they're really focused on that, and that means I think they want to knock down some of these price ceilings, like right. especially uh, Liliana the Veil, which is a real choke point for the format. If you want to play uh, a black deck that's not a combo deck in modern, you just need four yeah. Liliana the Veils. So that's like just a mandatory yeah. inclusion for all intents and purposes, really. And that card's price is just going up so fast. Right. Well, especially yeah. because because the people, the world is holding onto the table for Modern Masters too. Fetchlands were just reprinted. So a lot of these cards that people might think won't be reprinted in Modern Masters 2 and aren't Fetchlands are rising in value because the previous barrier entry, the Fetchland, is now mm-hmm. the bubble burst. Price. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, you, a, you'll be able to get the allied ones coming out, which will be being played. And B, because the demand on Fetchlands of Zendikar block is lower, those prices are going down. Yep. So when, you know, when one barrier to entry of the format goes down, then the other barriers start to rise. It's specifically interesting to note with regard to fetch lands, too, that you know certain fetch lands are going to be able to maintain a price and certain ones aren't. You know, right. like mm-hmm. Scalding Tarn, blue-red is a, you know, a concentrated archetype in modern, and you really don't want to be playing Flooded Strand or Pluted Delta instead of Scalding Tarn. Right. You want Scalding right. Tarn. Right. Uh, but then, it's it, its ability to actually fix your mana is yeah. as important as the ability and to not taking shock the shock lands. off of the right. shock land is important. But then you take an archetype like you know Birthing Pot or Jund, which have occasionally played things like Marsh Flats. No thanks, they're right. going to go for those Windswept Teeths or Windswept right, right. Hulls or whatever because it's not that big of a difference, and those cards let them splash colors they might be more interested in, right. and the mana base works. And not to mention, and we may do an episode on this later on the exact ramifications of the new fetch lands, but the fact that. You know, there are archetypes that are probably were slightly worse or not playable because they didn't have access to allied fetches. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Esper, for instance, is probably wasn't as playable because it's a deck that wants to play Cryptic Command, but you can't play Cryptic Command off of or very painlessly off of yeah. Black White, uh, mm-hmm. the Black White Fetch Land. You needed fetches for your wedge, essentially. Right. So, um, so getting into like i guess that that's the first elephant in the room and i think a lot of people think they're going to be reprinted in modern masters 2 and i'm personally of the belief that there's no way is that i do not think the zendikar fetches are going to be in modern i agree masters with you 2. i think the zendikar fetches are going to be in the third cons of turkey or set oh see uh, i i mean we can get I, I think they're coming next block i think they're i think 
personally, and this is me calling another thing of the future, Ooh. I think we're going to Zenicar block next fall. I think the return to Zenicar is next fall. I think we're getting a prequel set right now with Karns of Tarkir, and that they are going to reprint the allied fetches and the recur- I think the, that, uh, the enemy uh, fetches in return to I think Zenicar. that that's totally possible, but I still think that the it makes more sense to me to put the Zen fetches, even if you're going back to Zendikar, in the third set of cons, because Zendikar is not really like... The, fe- the fetch lines aren't like Zendikar specific or anything. You know, there aren't only Rainforest and Zendikar. True. So you can you can a- avoid that issue. But also the way the limited format is balanced out, it really kind of creates like the same. It's, it's a mirror. You know, right. you've got cons. Mm-hmm. You do cons with its second set. And then when the third set comes out, it's going to shift to the third set with its second set. Right. So if you orient it that way, you've still got people opening. You've got people opening fetch lines all limited format long, which is a really strong drive. For local game stores, true, yeah, and, and and the the two sides I think that why they'd probably be next set is, a I think Landfall's coming back because it's by far the most popular. Oh, I agree. From the set and and as a land in the set, they play the best with Landfall because they're actively. Effective. I I agree with you in that regard, except that the the issue is you know they're rare, so you don't even right. really get to play with them in limited that often. And if they're in standard together, which they would be, you know, if they're oriented in cons the specific way. Uh, in fact, they would continue to be because it's also the the weird point where you know the sets break right. uh, and we go into that two set standard right, rotation right. thing. So there would be fetch lands with Zendikar pretty pretty much though all the time. Right. You know, it's only going to be a small time window when they're not. The last reason and the last thing that I think, and this is maybe the bigger reason, is that Wizards like saving these kind of super big reprints for important moments. And the first set in the new block system that they're pushing having another marquee card that people are going to want really badly seems like something that would encourage them to kind of wait until the next block instead of having only one block be like, this is all the fetches. I don't disagree with you, but under that logic, why did they print them in cons? A, because the modern <laughs> format couldn't handle not having new fetches. Okay, we're diverging a little bit. <laughs> so we'll probably include this conversation in another podcast yeah. about fetches because <laughs> we could talk about that forever. Also known as <laughs> Alex doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. No one's going to hear that. I know. <laughs> Never going to lose publicly. I put it on. I put it on. Yeah. I've done my due diligence. Okay, so. You can include some of the conversation. It's, it's nice. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we want to get in fetches. Will they yeah, be yeah. in? Yeah. 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 Um, so. The next thing is, is of the mythic and important cards from Modern Masters 1, how many of them are going? Are they going to reprint in Modern Masters 2? How many of them are going to avoid? Are we going to get Tarmogoyf again? Are we going to see so much of a consistency between the two? Or are we going to get brand new cards? I don't know if you guys are looking at me. I'm all, <laughs> I'm all about reprinting that Tarmogoyf because yeah. I own zero. That's a really good question because I those cards are still price ceilings right. in modern. Like they yeah. have not gone. They have actually gone up significantly since, since they were. Modern Masters Two did more to increase their price than yes, it did to exactly, decrease. Exactly, which we talked about previously. And I think that Tarmogoyf, Dark Confidant, Vendelian Click, and Cryptic Command are the four like a uh, quote unquote offenders in this right, regard. Yeah, like right, they're the right. ones that are really big things like Vidalcan shackles or whatever. Uh, they, they bounce down, right. but it's the not sword, a big deal. I think if yeah. they're going to do swords, Lord print the new ones. I think yeah, there's yeah. like a lot no, of cool not, things to get huge. on the new set. I think Tarmogoy for sure. I think there's, I, I'm honestly not sure. Like right. it's, it's the sort of thing where like, I would want to have a conversation and like try and figure out their philosophy before right, I right. really, you know, was, was guessing at it. I personally think they should reprint these cards again. Right. I think that they merit it. I, I think you want to increase the amount of them in the market, it can only be good for all of the formats involved, even Legacy. So, you know, I have no mm-hmm. issue with it, and I right. think it would be a good thing for Magic. I can see them perhaps steering clear just because, you know, it feels like they're kind of retreading on themselves right. a little bit. And the issue that you run into is there are only 15 slots 
for Mitchell yeah, Cabrera. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think that they'll, uh, I, I personally am of the firm belief that the Titans might be in this set as the five mythic, uh, like more Timmy card mythic set, no, like I, what I the like Dragons were. I like those as well, yeah. Um, Partly because they're, you know, Primeval Titan is a played card, so I think they'd want to get Primeval Titan but in But there's there. no Titan Storm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or will there be? <laughs> um, that and, card would be gas. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you get the Titans in there. So that leaves only 10 real slots. I think they're going to do some mirroring. I think we're going to get two to three Planeswalkers. Yeah, Liliana, Soren. Gideon, Soren. Like, there, there's definitely choices. I think, I think if we're at Innistrad, definitely Liliana. I think definitely Gideon as the white marquee one and i think probably a gold one and there could be many different options yeah, for could. that um, there, there was only one in uh modern masters right or the first one uh, or modern Master had two they had uh, oh, Sark and, and Sark yeah, yeah okay um and then those were good plants too elspeth oh, yeah. in the theros the and then sark and right. cons it's well, almost think... like they can see into the future <laughs> <laughs> weird <laughs> um I think that the swords, I think two of the swords might come back. I think we're going to get uh, a cool new version of Feast and Famine and a cool new version of uh, mm-hmm. War and Peace. I could certainly believe yeah, that. I could, I could definitely see the swords coming back. Just because back. they were kind of the marquee of the last one, and you kind of, you, since you're yeah. going to the next set, and maybe all three, it's possible. Uh, just no thing, one likes though. Body and Mind. Depends on how many slots you need right. to fill. And yeah, Body and yeah. Mind is like the most miserable limited experience of all time. I mean, if you guys are going to go back to Eldrazi, though, I mean... All right, we're going to waste any spots on those guys. Oh, no, I think, I think, uh, I, and we're, we're going to get into this. I think actually the Eldrazi draft archetype of red green from Rise of the Eldrazi mm-hmm. will be one of the draft archetypes. But I think we're going to get, if not all three, definitely Emrakul and maybe a few of the lesser ones at lower rarities than Mythic. Right. Yeah. Um, I could I, certainly see that. I could even see, I think they have to keep Emrakul Mythic just because he feels Myth. Oh, too he's definitely a Mythic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's the most Mythic of all Mythic Right. <laughs> so, both yeah. lore wise and card wise. Yeah. I think, I think we get, I think we get Emrakul at Mythic and I think we get like, uh, it that betrays and some of the sure. the artisan of Kozilek. artisan of Kozilek. some of the yeah. and like maybe like an Eldrazi at every rarity kind of how they did in Rise of Eldrazi mm-hmm. um, do like a vertical cycle yeah um, and I think that's enough I don't think you need to do all three of the Eldrazi Titans I don't think that's no necessary not all three and, and, and you're not going the only one player is going to be maybe two is going to be able to play mm-hmm. it depending on what the archetypes are right. so you're not going to really throw that in there right I think there are four other cards that are. Pretty pricey and modern, and also like ripe for potential reprint, depending right. on how they you mm-hmm. know decide to skew things out. And I think those cards are Noble Hierarch, yeah, yeah, for sure. Linvala, Keeper of Silence, mm-hmm. okay, which is you know only a singleton in pod, but it's very casual, popular, right. and very expensive. Yeah, as very expensive, rare in a, yeah. a small printed set. Uh, Damnation, which is not good in modern, really doesn't see much play, right. but it's also again a very popular card that's difficult to obtain for a and, lot of players and, who want it. Yeah, and it was. Interestingly, missing from the from the Vault's mm-hmm. Annihilation this year, yes. and the article talking about it literally had a paragraph on if cards aren't in here, it's probably because we're reprinting them yeah. within the next year. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that that is pretty likely for Damnation, and then also we have Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, which you exactly. know one of the marquee cards for Modern and Legacy. Its price is not going anywhere. It is literally like if you could just buy Snapcaster Mages almost at any time. Like five years later, just be selling them for more. That's just how the card works. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> you know, right, it doesn't right, matter. Right, right. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about cards like Karn or Elish Norn? I think there's a distinct possibility. My only concern with some of those is, you know, a their ties into uh, flavor are a little stronger than mm-hmm. maybe others. Like, right. you know, you can get away with something like Emrakul if you're including the Eldrazi spawn as like one of the archetypes. Right. Whereas right. some of the other stuff, like a, the big Phyrexian Praetor, it's kind of like, well, what is that? Tied right. Into? I think, I think you have to do all the Praetors at the point. I think it's very possible to get Karn. That, but yeah. I think if maybe that is the yeah. third Planeswalker, I, I don't think we're going to get the Praetors, pos- partly because 
they're a, they are a cycle. Yeah. And they, they kind of want to keep that cycle together. Maybe Elish Norm, but in reality, I think the Titans are a little bit better for limited yeah. and, and to have and, a five of, and yeah. to have the five of, and, and it's less of a, like, there's not such a weird disbalance between them. Cause like the blue and green predators are like 15 mana mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, <laughs> while the cheaper ones are a little bit easier to cast. So I guess, I guess we can talk about those a little bit more because, you know, Noble Hierarch, again, most of the cards I named with the exception of uh, Linval and Damnation and even Damnation a little bit are also like yeah. legacy popular cards. So right. their price is really stable. And I think that Wizards wants to, even though they're not like showing a huge amount of support for Legacy, you know, when they can throw it a bone, I think they're willing to. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Damnation is a card that would probably see more modern play now, especially because of the allied fetches I'm talking well, about. Certainly that. couldn't see less. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, the the black as a color has became a little bit more stronger, I think, with the new fetch editions, with the fact mm-hmm. that blue black, mm-hmm. the blue black fetch land now exists. So Damnation has a higher chance of seeing play. And, uh, I mean, the Tesserator deck that just did well at yeah. uh, GP, I always say Kobe. my name right, Kobe. Um, and so, you know, the, the it's definitely a card that is on the verge of playable. And a lot of people, you know, one of the reasons it and Wrath of God were kind of being oppressed play-wise is because people thought that you wanted to be playing um, Supreme Verdict. Um, but because Thrun the Last Troll is a card, because Regeneration is actually kind of making a little bit of a comeback mm-hmm. in the format, it's more important to have cards that get rid of them. Yeah, um, right, and right. classically, the control deck has been white, but now that you know there are a little bit more reasons to be playing a black control deck in the format, it might lean towards Damnation seeing a little bit more play. It could, certainly. And I agree the fetches are a net positive. Uh, one, one, or I should say two more cards. I think Serum Visions is ripe for a reprint in Modern Masters 2. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, right. it's, it's getting stable. quite high in price for really no good reason. The card is not even good, but people ha- just have to play it. We've been shackled to it, essentially. Right, right, it's right. It's unfortunate, and nobody likes it, but <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah, and for uh, a common, it's should not be yeah that it, pricey. it's like six dollars i think right now or something yeah. like that so they're, they're definitely going to probably want to knock that one down uh and then we also have last but not least one of the more expensive cards in modern but one that i think is probably the least likely to get reprinted okay. in modern masters 2 is mox opal all right uh see i'm i think it's i think it's going to get there i think one of the reasons that it's so hard to print that card anywhere else i think it's 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 oh, similar i agree to right right i think i think it with noble hierarch both have this weird situation where they have such a weird specific mechanic ability right. that they're really hard to reprint anywhere else. I think Noble Hierarch, it's it's a lot more evergreen, you know? Like, we got Exalted in a base set, so right, I think the right. people were... That is much easier. And combat's, you know, universal. Every set right. has combat. So right. Noble Hierarch, right. you can put it in literally any set, and its ability will be, you know, reasonable. Right. You can't do that with Mox Opal. You know? True. It's, it's yeah, got to have true. something to pair up. And because they had that strong artifact focus in Modern Masters 1, I'm not sure they're going to want to do that again. I think that Mox Opal might better pair with uh, like a dual deck or a commander product maybe where you orient around that and that's like a maybe a better way to mm -hmm. get it into the market i'm not i'm not i don't necessarily think it'll happen i think that that's just like in my head that's like a more organic holistic way to kind of introduce the card. right i I think there's a possibility that one of the archetypes will be artifact themed i think it could be i think that it won't be blue white. I think it, it might be. Oh, yeah, it might go in a direction of something different. like a black red sacrifice artifact thing, because that kind of was in mod, uh, Scars of Mirrodin, but mm-hmm. it wasn't as focused mm-hmm. as they originally built designed the set to be, because uh, development lowered both that and a proliferate um, draft archetype in the set originally right. that was there, um, which. You know, that plus the blue, you know, the the cards that are in older sets kind of might give them the ability to really play that up. Um, 
I think that's the only way they can do it. I th- not necessarily black red, but I think if they change the archetype, oh, so yeah, they much have that... to do something different if they right. do it at all. Yeah, uh, and I think they, they may the have just colors. missed an opportunity in the last set, to be right. honest. Uh, right, but. It, it'll be interesting because I'm pretty sure that card needs a reprint. I don't think they want it to just balloon up to like right. eighty dollars eventually, just because if you want to play one of the best decks in the format, it's you have the to only buy card it. that's yeah. expensive to get at, at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see um, the Nexus, though. I think we're definitely seeing the effect Nexus. I could believe it. It's its price is reasonable, but it's definitely a popular kind of card. People right. like it, and especially you know. They've it's popularity has continued to go up thanks to Tom Ross. Uh, right, right. Infection. <laughs> yeah. Sir. Well, I mean, it's in two. It's in one major archetype for sure. It's in affinity, but then it's also in like a top tier two archetype, or at least a top played, which is in fact. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's in both of those archetypes. It is going to start going up, especially if they start reprinting all these cards. And it mirrors the first one. They had the first Nexus in the first one. So having the second Nexus and having a little bit of a Scars of Mirrodin, Infect mm-hmm. invading kind of feel to it makes sense. I could see him revisiting that. Yeah. My question is, though, we, we like the swords, right? We think some of the swords will be reprinted. I, I imagine so, just because people like them the right. only reason i think the swords might not be printed is because they did it in the last one they're relatively recent and their price isn't like in a, a situation right. where it's ballooning they're not that great in modern like they reprinted the ones you know that are essentially doing a little better like sort of light and shadow is right. actually i think criminally underrated in modern it just doesn't get as much play as it should but right. sort of fire knights has long been you know right, right. the sword the, the only the sword to see play really like feast of fam is the closest one to actual playability yeah. it's mm-hmm. like a sometimes sideboard card in legacy right yeah sometimes played card in and it's modern. infamous because it's like the card that made Cobblade put it on the map in many ways yeah um and but the reason i think they might not do that is purely off of the face that there are only 15 slots at mythic and right. if they want to get you know a five just like filler set like the titans or what the dragons were originally plus five like super like high profile reprints like Tarmogoyf mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know if Noble Hierarch is going to be mythic or Snapcaster is mythic and they only have you know they can only do they want to keep the colors equal like if you look at Riddle Modern Masters there was one super mythic of each color one Timmy mythic of each color and then a bunch of golden artifact cards right um so it well, feels to me that it by printing the swords, they're wasting slots that don't really need to be printed. There's a, a some level of consideration for also, you know, when people open packs, how often do you want the pack to look kind of like packs from the last time? You know, right, like, right. Oh, I got a Tarmogoyf again. That's cool, and like everyone would be happy about that, but it is not a unique experience. You know? Right, right. Oh, I got one of these like six drop Mythic rares. Okay. Oh, I got a sword. Okay. You know, like right. that's a mm-hmm. super similar experience, and I don't think we want to overlap that aggressively. I agree, and, yeah. and I think. I mean, there's an argument that the Titans won't be in it if they want to kind of save slots for yeah. that. I think that for limited purposes, they like just having these weird bomby mythics. And right. Well, I, that's I how they yeah, right, right. I think that the Titans are great. I mean, I think that they also, if, you know, we do return to Zendikar, having a card like that's around for people to play with. Obviously, right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, not in standard necessarily, although I, they could do that. I don't think they would. It reminds but, I mean, me I think of, on, a, on a casual basis, from a casual standpoint, yeah. you know, the the... the Onus behind Valkut is bad for tournament play, but if I'm a casual player and I just I bought some Modern Masters and now I bought some Zendikar, return the Zendikar packs, put them together, I'm going to have a great time with my friends and it's right. not going mm-hmm. to be format warping because there's no format that they both yeah, exist. So I think that there's definitely some perks to doing things like that. Yes. Yeah, what so, fixing do you think we're going to have? So for fixing, I actually... So I'm because we're going back to Zendikar and because I think there's going to be a landfall-y theme possibly, I think that the bounce lands the double cost black bounce lands at common are possibly a likely chance of getting in there. They're a common manifesting. They're a little complicated, but they have cool interactions with a lot of different things. The set could be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't reprinted in modern masters. They were printed in a lot of supplemental products. So they're definitely a popular 
tool for wizards for mana fixing, and they're a little too complicated to ever be in standard again because they're they slow down the format. They're like they're a very weird ability and possibly a little too powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have some fun shenanigans with some of the mythics we've described, like Primeval Titan. Um, they might even put Amulet of Vigor in there for funsies because that is seeing play in some formats. And if these lands are there, then it actually is a playable mm-hmm. and, and a card that you'd want in draft versus otherwise, which then they would just not do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other options, but this is kind of a set where they also don't need to print the rare cycle of lands or a rare cycle of lands because it's so much about all of the cards are important and valuable. They like rare cycle lands to kind of supplement packs that they think might not be worth as yeah. much. Right. Um, because like the, the answer for wizards and like often they get a question like, why are these lands rare? Why not just make them common so everyone can play all the colors? And their answer is like lands sell packs. Yeah. And we're in the business yeah. of making money. And so because of that, you know, and it makes it so that no matter what you have a chance of opening something with your pack that is worth something. Right. So it makes you be motivated to open packs because there's always going to be at least a cycle of cards in most made big sets that holds value at least while it's in standard. I do think there is some potential for exception. I agree with your, your logic in, right. in that in this regard. Uh, but we do have two cycles of lands that are pretty expensive in modern, one of which is super unnecessarily expensive. Uh, which is the filter lands right, originally right. Fil- from the Shadowmore block. Yeah. Cascade bluffs and all those. Yeah, those are really, really expensive. And to be fair, I think their price is going to tank once uh, you know we get fetch lands. More of them, yeah, right. because you know that's one of the reasons that people play them is they need the mana fixing. There really aren't as right. many like I don't have to take damage to put my land into play kind of things going on. And and one damage is not negligible, but yeah, right. So yeah. I, I think that we'll see a slight reduction in them, but they're still going to be around and they're still unnecessarily expensive. So right. I can see wanting to reprint them. Uh, at at rare, of course, they wouldn't want to take up mythic slots. Right, right. Uh, and then the other possibility are the future site cycle of lands, right, because Horizon be Canopy and Grove of the Burnwells are just getting crazy right. at this and, point. And right. if I were, if I were to pick between those two, I'd pick the future site ones just because there's only five, and they're also unique. They're all mm-hmm. very kind of cool in what they do. Mm-hmm. Where the filter lands are cool, and one of them is a filter land. You know they have a cool ability and a lot of them don't have regular borders so it's also like a, a cool ability to like yeah. reprint these cards in a different way right to kind of wrap up um this part one of mara masters 2 that will be going over the next year is you know kind of going to some of the archetypes that we think are going to exist we went really into a modern masters one every archetype they had mm-hmm. and i don't think we're going to be able to predict every single one but i think based off of the sets they're adding and some of the mechanics and some of the rares and mythics that we think they'd want to reprint anyways there's some easier calls to make on what yeah. might be in there mm-hmm. um i mentioned this one first and this is probably my favorite one that might be coming back is a eldrazi spawn ramp deck in red green uh i think that was one of the most fun dress- dropped ugh. that was one of the most fun draft archetypes in rise of the eldrazi original which is one of the most format most fun format ever Um, and you know it allows you to kind of get in those cards like emrakul and primeval titan can kind of see playing it and and it lets you print really cool splashy cards in those sets and you get all these cool aldrazi um i think that uh green black um is very possibly to be in fact i think that it's a mechanic that a subset of players love i think a subset of players hate them also but i think it's <laughs> probably canceled each other out i think doing infect in a different environment than what it was in scars of mirrodin where it was really you either had to be infect or you had to be the deck that's playing against infect mm-hmm. which was very stratifying and i think you can also make it a little bit less of what it was in the original format which was like really small creatures and pump spells aggro and make it much more kind of what it ended up being towards the end of the block of uh scars of mirrodin block which was more of a mid-rangey, bigger creatures, slower, and more, much more about yeah, grinding and advantage. Right. Uh, the other cool thing about Infect is that there are cards that kind of go well with Infect 
um, that actually go with the ability that in fact was based off of, which is Wither. Um, right. Where Wither, you know, there are mechanics from the set that Wither was in, which Wither is, is it's half of Infect. So Infect is creatures do damage in minus one counters or poison. Uh, Wither is just, they do damage to players regularly, but they do minus one, minus one counters the creatures. to creatures. Right. Um, and there are cards that kind of mechanically work with them that were originally in the sets that Wither was in, and so that could be cool to see with it. There's also, like, fun poison cards like Sliver from Times... There's a Sliver with poison in, in Time Spiral Block. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you can kind of sneak in a few of, like, the time-shifted and, and future-sighted poison okay. cards um, to have kind of a cool, like, slightly different version of Infect. Um, I think... From Zendikar block, I think for sure we're getting something maybe along the lines of what uh, Boros Bushwhacker was in Standard, which is all the efficient red-white aggro uh, landfall creatures, which is uh, Step Links and um, Blade of Geopede. So these are cards that when you play a land, they get plus two, plus two. Um, this is what, one of the reasons I think that the bounce lands are possible to come back because they will play really well with these landfall creatures because it's not like fetch lands where you can get like a four or four on turn one or attack for four on turn two. Mm-hmm. But what you do get is you can just Your consistently keep playing. Reasonable. Right. Yeah. You have yeah. consistent lands in your hand, so you can consistently keep going for it. Um, and the, la- the the second one, I think, is a possibility from uh, Zendikar is allies. They're kind of a fan favorite. They kind of play similar to Slivers. It's a reasonable read. Um, yeah. Green-white is kind of the has has enough in just those two colors to kind of play enough of them for the draft format at red all. Where it is red, sure. yeah, yeah. And, and you could maybe print some in red, and it kind of goes with the the Boros Bushwhacker kind of uh, landfall aggro archetype. Also, because you know, as I was mentioning earlier, I do think we're going to Sendigar soon, if not next block, very like within the next couple of years. It puts these ally cards into newer players' hands so that when new allies come out in the next Zendikar set, if they're coming back, it allows them to build the, like have the cards for making these like casual ally tribal decks. Um, I think those are all reasonable guesses. Uh, I mean, I'm not like crazy right. about all of them. Uh, I think that there's a reasonably strong chance at Eldrazi because it's so mm-hmm. popular. And I've, right. I've mentioned before, they like to take things that were popular and pull them in. Right. So I think that that one's got probably the strongest of, right. of those. Infect is not as popular. In fact, it was kind of like a little reviled at right. times. So I'm, I'm a little wary of that one. I, I think that they wouldn't mind doing it. It's not like objectively anyone at Wizards is like, this would be a horrible idea. Right. It's just like, you know, we have this idea. Is there maybe a different idea we should use? That kind right. of thing could be going right, right. And, and allies were also, you know, like pretty, pretty cool. Uh, as far as me, I, as far as tribes, I've kind of been thinking about, you know, because you, you don't really want to just rehash everything you did before right right uh so i think that like zombies and merfolk both oh, yeah. have like strong yeah, yeah, yeah. shots because yeah. they're both even like they're still they're both modern legal and and reasonable like right. there is a there are some zombie decks that aren't terrible and there's definitely a merfolk deck that's not right bad. and you get stuff like grave crawl especially if innistrad yeah. is in in the format right. you get grave crawler you get um uh geth's not garalf's messenger, yeah. messenger. Yeah. You, you can do a lot of cool things right. you do a blue black zombie situation have. and you do like a uh, a blue white merfolk because merfolk yeah. is definitely it was one of the tribes that I felt was most obviously missing from the original Modern Masters. I think a lot of people were like, well, that's weird. That's kind of the... That and elves are probably the archetypes yeah. that are missing. I think elves is, a, you know, maybe, maybe, because it's, like, not that good in Modern, and it's also not a deck they really want to be good in Modern. Like, right, nobody right. wants the, all right, do your thing. And the attainability uh, right. of the cards isn't too bad either. Yeah. And, and, and when it comes down to it, something I think they will always be conscientious in these sets is thinking of the future, and I think mm-hmm. they will be... There will eventually be a Modern Masters 3, and we don't want to do every single one of yeah. our major tribes. We want to save one of them. And I think Merfolk is a little bit more of a deck right now anyways. 
I think that most of the cards for Merfolk are in the sets that would be available. And the colors that it is in are a, a slot that needs to be filled. Yeah. And they want it to be different than the classic either blue-white flyers or, or you know, what the first one was, was blue-white artifacts. So mm -hmm. that is an archetype that blue-white can go into that is also different than what they've done classic. You know, that is different than what normally this draft environment would normally be. Mechanically speaking, I've already mentioned I would like to see graveyard slash flashback stuff from Innistrad come back, which right. again, you know, we've mentioned that's dependent on whether or not Innistrad is actually included in the sets they decide to reprint from. But I think that that's, you know, again, super right. popular among players. They would love it, and I think Wizards wants to do something like and it, that. It's a great blue-red kind of, like, yeah, if I was going to everyone pick. loves Burning Right, 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 right. So that's kind of, we don't want to go too much farther into what kind of archetypes there are, because this could very well change very yeah, quickly. Yeah, we don't want to spoil it for you guys. Yeah, you guys <laughs> might find out. Um, so to, to kind of wrap up Modern Masters 2 before we get into the deck tech, uh, we want to go into just possible issues that might come with Modern Masters. Nothing. It'll be perfect. It'll be perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's kind of that for that. Um, <laughs> Let's talk some deck tech. All right, so we're going to, you know, this is the last part in every episode. We're going to do a deck tech. Today Ooh, we're doing right. blue, white, red control. All right. Which... You're going to basically teach me about this deck because you oh, guys yeah. clearly know exactly how this works. Yeah, well, blue, white, red first really became a deck in modern on the back of Geista St. Trap. That right. was how everyone was kind of familiar with it. And that was more of a blue, white, red uh, aggro or mid-range deck. You know, it actually started off pretty aggressive. There were versions with, like, step links and, and whatnot going mm -hmm. around. Uh, so it was just attack, 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 play this three-mana 2-2 two, two hexproof guy that makes a 4-4 four, four angel and just beat people to death. Right. Pretty solid strategy. Yeah, exactly. But as yeah. the format kind of you know shifted, and then we got like Deathrite Shaman Liliana of the Veil came along, which let people accelerate into a, a edict effect, make someone sacrifice a creature, mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden, uh, a hexproof 2-2 two, two became a lot less reliable <laughs> yeah. as yeah, a right. way to kill the opponent. So it became more of a mid-range deck. It started playing Restoration Angel for a 3-4 Flash Flyer to kind of give it an additional you know potential to win right. the game, Celestial right. Combat. Colonnade, a land that becomes a 4-4 flyer, was added to the mix. Uh, so it shifted into this mid-range deck that was also pretty good. I played that deck at, at some events as well. And then Wafo Tapa right. came 2012? along. 2012? Yeah, uh, right. that sounds about right. Uh, Pete, yeah. What's Wafo Tapa? Guillaume Wafo Tapa is one of the best magic players right. uh, in the world. Well, Hell of well a name. known as right. a control uh, expert. He's if like, if he you have trouble with his specialist. French name, you can mm -hmm. go with guacamole Wafo Tacos. That's <laughs> totally fine. That's the American version. Yeah. Uh, uh, so he's he's great, and he designs very powerful control decks. That's right. just what he does. Uh, right. And he took that deck and essentially cut basically all the creatures, just Snapcaster Mage was left, yep. uh, and filled it with removal and card advantage, and that became Blue Eye Red Control, right. uh, a very early version of it. And it's remained relatively similar since. Uh, people change which cards they're sideboarding. They change some of the tinker slots in the main right. deck, but I would say sometimes the, the, the wind core, condition kind of sometimes falls. The, the wind right. condition things like Batterskull have been around. Right. Sometimes they've played things like Sun Titan, but uh, the Kiki core wind condition, <laughs> the core engine, I should say, remains the same. You're trying to play like early efficient removal, then you're trying to play card advantage favorable removal like Snapcaster Mage and Electrolyze, which is a shock that draws a card and can be split around for three mana. Right handy and then you move into again more card advantage you've got cryptic command counter spell draw a card or you know do whatever else you want yeah, right. 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 Every pretty sure it reads just do yeah do whatever you want tell your <laughs> opponent to dance right. uh, and with snapcaster mage to flash it back obviously that card is also very powerful and you had counter spells in addition to cryptic command to control the early game remand and mana leak both are very cheap and you know not super reliable but right. temporarily can handle most of the stuff you'll see in the early turns so the deck really builds to a late game and 
Waffotapa's version generally just beat the opponent to death with Celestial Colony. Right, right. That was Colonated pretty much the plan. Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. Right. With a Lightning Bolt to the face on occasion. Because it ends up that Snapcaster Mage and Lightning Bolt together kind of oh, yeah. are good. <laughs> and in the mirror, that actually became like one of the key fighting points. Was right, right. You had to try and burn the opponent out because eventually somebody is going to be much farther ahead and right. that person is going to Celestial Colony the other one to death. Right. My so first question, just looking reasonable. at these cards, is Sphinx's Revelation is quickly going out of... Oh no! This is modern. This is modern. This is modern. This is not standard. Sphinx's and to be Revelation. fair, Sphinx's Revelation does see play in a, a yep. lot of these decks. I think right. Waffle played of... two in his first version, right. but it's generally become a, a, a one, one of, of or maybe a sideboard card in some. Right. Uh, so you know the, that's and that was how the deck was for a really long time. Right. Uh, it saw a lot of success on Magic Online and didn't see much going on live until right. really Pro Tour Born of the Gods, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Where it. It won. Done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it yeah. was it was heralded when when Blood Raid Elf first got banned, and mm -hmm. it was that, and the the Storm deck kind of got banned. It was the first deck out of the gate that people thought was going to be the major format, and so the format warped around beating it uh, pretty heavily right after that banning, because there was GP San Diego's right after that, and right. so it ended up with a world where it was kind of hated on, and then you know, like when a deck is like that, it takes a little bit longer for it to come back and make up for that fact so essentially warp the meta around it a little bit because it was I, powerful I enough it wasn't super warping i think the deck was always more popular in moto than real life up until this year true uh and that was where it was seeing the majority of its success and i think that a lot of that is because you know good players played it on magic online and also their you know time is less of an issue because your speed right. is all you need to really worry about right right so I think that all of that contributed to it, and the fact that you know Birthing Pot and Jun were the big decks in real life. Those decks aren't you know always really favorable depending on right. your build, uh, but the format you know hit a sweet spot. And as we saw at Pro Tour Born of the Gods, Sean McLaren was able to win the tournament with his build, which featured a very adaptable sideboard. Uh, he had a lot of cards that overlapped, a lot of singletons, but he could kind of customize his deck to mm -hmm. be right. whatever he was facing, which I think that's one of the primary strengths of Blue Red. I think most of those sideboards, you really want like at least 10 unique cards because you want to be able to mix and match very right, specifically, right. especially right. when you have a card like Snapcaster Mage to let you reuse specific cards right. over and it, over. It, the way, it, it's interesting because the deck also, the way it digs is, and it lets you get to these singleton cards is that almost every one of his cards or a significant chunk of his cards draw more cards. Right, mm -hmm. so Sphinx um, and Revelation, the... Um, well, not even Sphinx, like, like Cryptic Command just draws a card. Yeah, Command, if you're playing Command, just draws a card. Electrolyzer, just Electrolyzer. Electrolyzer. Right. Draws a card. Like they all cantrip, so like your hand is always consistently being searching through your deck. It's right. different than like some classic controls, which you know, Fix's Revelation is kind of a marquee like card for that, where it's like stall, 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 draw a bunch of cards. Or and it's different than like some of the more legacy based control decks, mm -hmm. where it's like one mana, you know, filter through the top of my deck cards are how I kind of search. This is mm -hmm. much more of a every card in my deck is a cantrip mm -hmm. or Snapcaster Mage, which is basically a cantrip, and so it lets you get through really quick. The other right. thing is the deck. Most of its threats are um, instant speed. They're, they all either have flash or they're a land. <laughs> um, so things like Restoration Angel can come into play on the end of your opponent's control. So you're always ready right. for kind of what they're doing. There's not really a point where the deck is opening itself up for your shenanigans. To right, be, right. To be even more specific, the cards serve dual roles. You know, not necessarily just flash, but they always do something in addition to kill. Right. You're never just spending a card slot on a kill condition, like Aetherling, for example, right. which is like, mm -hmm. when you draw that card, it's nothing until you're winning. Right. Celestial Colonnade, uh, it makes white and blue mana until you're winning. That's <laughs> right. what it does. Right, uh, right, right, right. It can block until you're winning. Right. Uh, it and frequently it, does. Right, right. Well, and not to mention it can reuse Snapcaster Mages yeah, exactly. or save your Vendillion Celestial click. Colonnade. Or also, if you're playing Vanillion Click, it can rebuy the Vanillion Click ability. Yeah, so the real strength is that none of your cards are ever blank as a control deck, which is a rarity. Right. Know, often mm -hmm. you get into spots where they are. And especially removal 
which is you know very typically in control mirrors, the person who shows the most removal is going to be a significant disadvantage. But in the blue white red mirror, because there's so much burn, right? Uh, things like lightning bolt and lightning helix are actually not that unreasonable. Right. That's how you can close out a game. And electrolyze is obviously a free right. roll. You you're just take right. two, I draw. Like, like your the least two versatile cards are probably path and mana leak, and mm -hmm. there is even things like path can in the control mirror is one of the best answers to colonnade. Yep. Uh, and uh, Mana Leak is probably the weaker card, but it also, because you're playing cards like Tectonic Edge, you can keep in that battle them lower on mana, allowing you to Mana Leak the cards that are really important. Yeah. Th there are some, you know, issues with the deck. Like right. Path to Exile te against Tectonic Edge and Mana Leak is really awkward, right, but right, that's how good right. Path is. Uh, and, and Mana Leak really mostly, its existence strangles the opponent in some right. regards. Like, they have to play around it. Play around it, it without opening um, three up. Yeah, let, yeah. Which lets you get to the later game, and then, and then you know, normally in games two, you can right. side those out for yeah. more versatile control so matchup cards. I think we should probably talk about the next iteration of Blue White Red Control from this, uh, you know, heavy... Light Blue creature White, version, right, right. yeah, which mm -hmm. you know, Sean McLaren again did it uh, at a Grand Prix shortly after his Pro Tour when he played a version that had been on Magic Online for a while. I can't recall who I saw playing it first, but it had been there for quite a while as sort of an under the radar thing, running a lot more creatures and specifically running Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker right. to go with those Restoration Angels and be able to make infinite angels. Right, and mm -hmm. you you play Wall of Omens so you can get value out of the, yep. the Restoration Angel and you get value out of. Uh, Kiki Jiki, you're playing some lists play Blade Splicer to get a little bit more value and a little bit more of a, a roadblock in the middle game. But it, the nice thing about that, and, and my personal problem while playing Blue Eye Red in the past, is that the deck, when you win with the deck, it feels like you barely just won. Right. Where with the Kiki Jiki plan, there's this weird game plan that even if you're not, like, that's not how you're winning and you're still just winning with Celestial Colonnades, there feels like there's an end game plan B that your opponent needs to be wary of that can allow you to kind of grind through your matches a little bit more with a plan and intent versus I'm going to just value them out and, and yeah. at random moments I'm going to get them in for three and kind of snap mage, you know, snapcaster mage, lightning bolt at them so that their damage is going down. It's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm playing towards a goal. Mm -hmm. and Right. Well, the way I see it is if you get Kiki Jiki out and Restoration Angel, it doesn't matter what the board state is, you essentially win. Yes. Right. That is exactly what happens. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Excluding uh, torpor now, orb shenanigans. Right, right. <laughs> Kiki Jiki is, you know, a card like Aetherling that we discussed where it's pretty much only going to work when you've got the game already right, won right. anyway. It, it's right. a blank in most other regards. So some of the cards you've added are fine, like Wall of Omens, you know, it blocks and draws a card, so it's right. close to free. Uh, and Restoration Angel, which, you know, we've already sung its right. praises. Yeah. Uh, but Kiki Jiki does come at that cost of, I don't do anything unless I'm about to win. Right. It is the also, part. It is you also can a, use it with these other cards a little bit, but it's really not that good. Right. It also it also has a level of uh, mana cost difficulty. It, mm -hmm. it is a, a triple red creature in a deck that classically was more splashing red than actually fully playing it. Right, absolutely. In. So you have to kind of tweak your mana to kind of go along with that. Yep. Um, it also... But... I mean, yes, it, it kind of does that, but it also, you know, I've won games with blue, white, red where I just attack for two because Kiki Jiki is a haste two, two for five. And in a <laughs> deck where like you're bolting them and snapcasting them, you can get them pretty low. And sometimes just, you need that last card to get them in there. And Kiki Jiki is a haste two, two. <laughs> or you can just make someone else big enough, like copying even yeah. like a celestial right. a creature right, right, right. to swing it in. Well, that requires a lot of mana, actually. That's true. That's true. Actions. But, uh. The, I think the biggest incentive to playing Kiki Jiki is you give up this slot in your deck that could be more interactive, and ex in exchange, uh, you get a card that really lets you turn around some of your bad matchups, specifically right. combo decks or especially big mana decks like Tron, mm -hmm. uh, which is a horrible matchup because beating someone to death with a Celestial Colonnade before they cast a bunch of Wormcoil Engines or Emrakul right. is really tricky, it, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> it, 
it ends up that a deck like this has a very, very, very big problem with a turn three Karn. <laughs> it can be tricky. <laughs> tricky. Um, and, and Tron, obviously the deck that is most resilient to Mana Leak, which is your primary form of interaction before you get Cryptic Command online. Right. So, you know, if they simply open on two towers and the other two Tron lands, there's nothing you can do about right. anything. Really. Well, I mean, your Tron match, the, the other, I mean, like, Lightning Bolt doesn't really do anything against them. Nope. Path you have so eventually might blanks. do something. Path, yeah. Path, path is solid yeah. because it handles the Worm Coils. Uh, um, but you have a lot of right. difficulty with the remand is even hard because like they're casting spells that are just way better than anything yes. you can be drawing into. Right. Mana League doesn't do anything, and they have a level of annihilability because eventually they can get like your game plan is to go as long as possible. But their long game plan is way better than yours because right. it's Emrakul, and Emrakul can't be countered, can't be targeted by any of the spells in your deck. Yeah, it is close to an unbeatable win cast by the Tron opponent. You, you could like theoretically interact with it, but you're still not likely to win the game, which is right. the big issue. The blue-white-red deck is building to a specific point in the game uh, and trying to leverage its mana advantage, because that's the that's the plus of playing with right. cantrips, right? You get spells and lands. I make my land drop, and I play a spell every right. turn, because none of my spells are actually costing me cards. Right. Mm -hmm. So you get to this point in the game where you have way more mana and way more options at the same time. Right. The Tron deck is doing the exact same thing, but their options are better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the, the real advantage you have are that you're doing everything at flash speed so you do have a little bit more of like an understanding of what you're going to play while tron is definitely playing more of a tap out kind of situation right mind you the things you can do and the reason why kiki jiki is has yeah. been adopted by these decks is that your options aren't that great in the yeah. first place so having this inevitability of drawing towards a kiki jiki or something that can just outright kill them is really really a useful tool and especially in game ones. Because in game twos, you can mitigate this matchup because you have cards like Stony Silence in the sideboard, which we've talked about before, which is very powerful against specifically decks like Tron and Affinity. Um, and so it's it's really very helpful in this specific matchup. Yeah. And one of the reasons that, as you said earlier, your sideboard is almost a piece of art, the blue-white-red, because every card is very specific and it's meant to kind of carry over into different matchups and play differently depending on who you're playing against. So you might have noticed that since we've discussed the history of blue-white-red, we've kind of come up with, you know, a lot of different blue-white-red decks. In fact, we've named, you know, four that right. have, you know, probably about 12 to 20 cards different between them. Uh, and that's, in fact, one of the reasons that the deck is kind of good in modern, because it's very difficult to figure out exactly what your opponent's on right. mm -hmm. uh, until you may have already made a very costly mistake. We've mentioned before how fast modern can be, how it's a format where generally on turn four, your opponent's going to kind of show themselves, like, right. this is right. how I'm going to try and win. Uh, and, you know, against a deck like Blue Eye Red, you could have already made a mistake that's so significant you right. might actually die right. uh, as a result of a cascading disadvantage. So I, th I think that that's one of the selling points of Blue Eye Red is it kind of camouflages itself very naturally because right. you're never quite exactly sure which archetype your opponent's on for at least the first few and turns. It, and especially going into game two, because the, the situation is like, is this deck playing Geist now? Guys, mm -hmm. ain't trying. Like, should I keep my lightning bolts in because I need to get rid of Kiki Jiki? Or if I'm keeping mm -hmm. these in, are they going to start playing cards like Guys' yeah. Saint Trap, where now six cards in my hand are dead, and he has a six damage coming in my face every turn? And like, even if you know everything, it's entirely possible they sideboard into like a transformative style. Like a right. lot of times, you're boarding out Kiki Jiki against right. some of these decks, so they'll you know try and defend themselves <laughs> from a Kiki Jiki Angel kill with something like you know a Combust or keeping their bolts right. or whatever. And then you're just like, no, I'm still just going to Sphinx's Revelation. You right, right, that's right. Now I'm Sphinx and Karanos, and you're not going to be able to do anything to me because all my win exactly. conditions are like untargetable and destructible. Good call. That card is handy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it ends up that card you should be getting it because it's going to be good in standard and it is already good in modern. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think it already went up to 17. It's pretty good in commander. Yeah, it's guys. actually doing pretty 
pretty big business right. on the market right now. <laughs> yeah. I've been borrowing my roommates, and he's taking it back so we can sell it. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think I have the one for the sideboard in this deck. And so then... we talked a lot about the Tron matchup, which is actually one of the less common matchups for Blue-Red. Right. So why don't we run through some of the Tier 1 decks, and we can kind of talk about how you know you might approach those matchups. Jimmy, why don't you... <laughs> yeah, right, guys. So the biggest one is uh, bug control, Uber. Uh, uh, I think, well, I think I... what he meant to say was birthing pod. Right. Birthing pod, right, yeah. yeah it's totally. very similar. Uh, so birthing pod, we, we talked a little bit about before, and it's a really value-oriented deck. It has a great late game, and you know it's public enemy number one kind of in modern right. because it's so good. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's popular, strong, mm-hmm. and can... It's game plan, which is game B game plan is very versatile because it can just start beating you down instead of going for any kind of combos. The matchup kind of works in two different ways. If they have a birthing pod in play, it works around controlling that birthing pod right. because a lot of bad mm-hmm. things can happen if, if your opponent's potting. Starts, right, yeah. right. It, it takes out, I mean, like, if you think about it, birthing pod makes it so every spell they basically pay for the rest of the game is uncounterable because they're not playing spells, they're potting into they're the potting it out. Or right. they're playing one drops or two drops, which are cheap which your late-game counterspell magic doesn't really do anything against. And thanks to Persist, a lot of their cards are generating value, which means they can overcome things, even like Cryptic Command or Sphinx's Revelation right. and Electrolyze, mm-hmm. because they're just running you out. You're, right. you're drawing cards every turn, two cards a turn, they're drawing better. Yep. Uh, and the big issue with that is they build up to a Revel Arc. Revel Arc is really probably the most deadly card in the matchup. Right. So uh, a lot of players, and I, Sean McLaren is a big proponent of this strategy with Blue Eye Red, is he actually boards in his Relic of Progenitus's uh, to try and help control specifically Revel Arc. Right. It's the most dangerous card, right. and you really don't want to pop that Relic until you've gotten the Revel Arc handled. Now, fortunately, uh, the pod deck generally only runs one of a lot of things, right. including specifically Revel Arc. So once mm-hmm. you've handled something like that, you don't necessarily have to go through it again. Right. Uh, and, and that's a good thing. The other plan they have is the beats. Uh, you know, they, Their deck is a pretty reasonable mid-range beatdown deck with all that persist. And Gaviny Township right. keeps the persist creatures beating on you even longer. I mean, the, the, the deck is built out of a, uh, mostly mana creatures, value creatures, or bullets. And the mana creatures and value creatures fill the board up and when you start gathering townships making them mm-hmm. all four four five five six sixes it becomes much more difficult for the control player to really handle what's coming at you um and because some of these creatures have persist and with gavany township are infinitely persisting you have the issue of you know even board wipes aren't that powerful against them so you mm-hmm. really have to kind of pick your answers to them very specifically and maybe go with things like Relic of Genesis, yeah. or you know the single bullets of like Grafdigger's cage which kind of shuts down their pod and makes it so their value creatures don't work as well as they normally would so like it ends up graveyard hate is one of the better things to do against pod because right. so much of their deck revolves around value that is based off of cycling through or out of their graveyard yeah so i, I personally find that the best plan of attack is to try and shut down the pod and then treat them like a particularly resilient uh, mid-range deck so you're going for those graph diggers cages and even stony silence right uh, because you just need to turn the pod off and then the relics work great with that plan as well because they cut off their main forms of inevitability from right. there um, I guess to go on to further matchups, uh, Green Black X. <laughs> Green Black X, yeah. No. The Jun, Junk, and uh, the Golgari mid-range decks. Right. Uh, they all function pretty similarly. Uh, you mostly have to worry about the cards they're splashing for, which right. in the case of the red deck is mostly Lightning Bolt. Not a big concern right. for you. Yeah, uh, so Though that deck is probably the better matchup. With Junk, you have Lingering Souls, which is a little bit Slightly more Slightly more of a concern right. for you. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, as you have choices in kind of de- deciding what your deck is doing and what it is attacking, these green-black decks, that is w- one of their strengths as well. And the, one of the resistant things they have is you don't know exactly what you're getting into until they start playing the other color. 
Um, you know, they go from consistency and just straight green black. They go to better removal and a little bit more reach with a green black red. And they have the options of the value game of green black white, which comes with lingering souls. Sometimes it comes with kitchen finks. These are decks that, you know, are value games, which is again a problem that sometimes Blue White has. But the other side of it is that a lot of the time it, they're just playing Bob who is, you know, just a value creature that you can kill because your deck is filled with removable spells that well, do have X ones. That's really the core of the way you want to approach the matchup. And it's because, you know, the deck has so many cards that it shares, uh, right. these green-black decks. So, so much of the cards don't change. Uh, and specifically, I think Dark Confidant is, in fact, the most important level of interaction. Liliana is secondary, but also very important. Right. It's because these are the two ways that, that they can really attack you and get you. Right. So if they open up on Thoughtseize or Inquisition, uh, can resolve a Liliana and deplete you of answers and then play a Bob, they're going to be in a huge, right. hugely huge advantageous position. position because they're going to be able to just outlaw game you. So in the matchup, really the key is killing everything uh right. kill the bob <laughs> always kill the bob it doesn't matter how you have to kill it if you have to path to exile the bob right. yes that is ugly yes you have to do right. it uh so that's very important and aside from that you want to avoid getting beat to death uh the man lands can be especially troublesome because right. jund is on a similar plan to you that's how they're going to beat flooding in the long game they're going to raging ravine or treetop village people to death which uh, are both uh man lands that yep. become three threes or bigger and which pros is a problem yeah they're, they again you know produce mana and then become threats in the late game and that's really the key and you want to be able to interact with them the, the blue white red decks that run tectonic edge which we already mentioned as a uh, a land that can destroy other lands th those decks are going to be a little bit more of a favorite and that's why i think the kiki jiki version is much worse right uh, because it can't run all those next we're going to talk about affinity which is we've talked about in the first episode of the podcast this is the objectively major aggro deck in the format mm -hmm. um and your deck is, this is probably one of the bigger reasons to play this, because your deck is a little bit more resistant to this matchup. Uh, as we said, you know, you have Stony Silence on the sideboard, which is a great card against them, but you're all, your deck is almost main board. You know, it ends up that Electrolyze is a very, very good card against a bunch of, a deck that's filled with a bunch of 1-1s. One yeah. I think the Affinity matchup is probably the best reason to be right. playing Blue or Red. There's really only two plans of attack you really have to worry about, which is uh, their man land-based plan of attack, coming especially if it gets backed by a cranial plating, which you have to keep off the board or unequipped uh, at all costs. So that can be very dangerous. And Etch Champion, which right. if it resolves and is metal-crafted, uh, you basically can't touch it. Uh, right. So versions with Blade Splicer are a little more resilient to the Etch Champion, but personally, uh, I like to just run some good old-fashioned Wrath of God. Uh, right. It gets through Welding Jar, it handles Thrun and other matchups... Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it's just all you need. It's very strong in the format. It, it, it helps, and that you know, it's also good against some of the other tier tier two, tier three aggro decks that are out there. Even if those are not the best decks in the format, it is something that you want to be prepared to play because they're always going to be there. Yeah. People are going to be playing Zoo. People are going to be playing Merfolk. People are going to be playing these decks. That it's good to have some type of way to clear out the board of creatures. Otherwise, you might be getting punched in the face a little faster than you're able to handle. And you have a lot of options. You have Wrath of God and you have Supreme Verdict, right. uh, which you know have their pros and cons. The the Wrath gets through Welding Jar and Thrun. Uh, the Supreme Verdict can't be countered by right. uh, you know the blue decks, which specifically comes up against Geist of St. Traffs that you might fight against. Uh, so you, you kind of have to make your peace with that. And keep in mind, I really like running one of these minimum in every 75 because right. I have Snapcaster Mage in my deck. So if I run mm -hmm. one Wrath, I have at two. At least two, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, does, I mean, this is a question for you, I guess. It, does Anger the Gods ever kind of come into play with Blue-Eye Red? I'm not a big fan of it. I don't think it's well positioned right now. Okay. It's really good against Pod and pretty miserable elf elsewhere. Because right. as I mentioned against Affinity, you know, it's you can handle all their little dorks. That's right. not a problem. It's two, yeah, the, it's the, the Edge Champion the and the Manlands right. that you have to worry about. And the Anger of the Gods does nothing against both. Right. So 
Uh, I think that it's, again, you know, if you want to run a one of or maybe a two of specifically with a pod matchup, I think it's fine. But I prefer to interact with them a little more uh, aggressively with things like Magma Spray, perhaps, right. uh, which, you know, can handle Kitchen Finks or Voice of Resurgence, which is a real tricky guy since he turns off your counter magic and is also a value creature when he dies. So to go with the last of our, our gauntlet of, of decks that we're going to talk about, hopefully in every episode, Splinter Twin. Um, what what would you say is your matchup with Splinter Twin with Blue Eye Red? Uh, I have generally found it to be very favorable. Uh, I have also heard Splinter Twin people who think that I'm insane. Uh, I think that <laughs> one of the reasons is I designed my deck specifically, my sideboard, uh, for the cards I'm planning to board in against decks like Splinter Twin. Right. I designed my sideboard so that I can cast it under a Blood Moon. Right. I think that that's really important, and people don't really think about it. So, you know, a lot of, for example, at a Grand Prix, you know, I had a sideboard that was like, I don't know, like 12 red cards. It was just, right. that, that was all I was going to do because Blood Moon had just started to hit it big. And, you know, people would board it in against me naturally. And it does, it is difficult. You know, you right. have to work your way through it. But as long as you can keep them from actually being able to get you and you can get either a, an island or a planes, preferably both into play, right. uh, you know, you can you can work through it. You can definitely adjust. So uh, I, I like Combust a lot more than most people for that reason. And I like Combust because it's also very good in the mirror. It's a right. great way to kill Restoration Angel and Celestial Colonnade. And it doesn't give the opponent a land like Path to Exile. So I'm a bigger fan of Combust than most people. Uh, generally speaking, I like to have one permanent based way to shut off twin just to like make them honestly answer it something right. like a torpor orb which i don't like that much because of snapcaster mage being better in my deck than in theirs right or more more specifically a spell sky which is easier for them to answer but equally difficult right. and also has applications in other matches right torpor orb ends up being a little bit more limited in what it's good against yeah. while spell sky has game against you know random aggro decks but more specifically like noggles or splinterton decks things that are trying to suit up a guy with an enchantment right. so um, so basically by having one one or two permanent based ways to kind of shut off the combo i give them a hoop to jump through which can create some windows for me to tap out every now and then because right. it, mm -hmm. it's not realistic that i'm going to be able to defend myself on every turn of the game for the entire game that's tough right uh, combust is a big aid in that because it can't be countered but you know y you have to find it so right. having some permanent based solutions forces them to spread out and i find that a lot of the time they move more aggressively into the blood moon and attack you to death plan right as opposed to trying to twin you out because your deck is you know all removal it's right. not a good plan uh i think that the fetch lands that are coming are going to be very helpful uh because getting another blue fetch right it's going to be a nice one, especially if you're you know, Flooded Strand specifically right. is mm -hmm. much better than Arid Mesa, I think. If you decide to build your deck around post-board against this deck, you turn into, you know, more specifically a blue-red or white-red deck, right. depending on how you want to go in order to fight off the Blood Moon. Right. And I think I think uh, I would maybe recommend aiming towards more of the white-red because there are cards like Wear and Tear where you can yeah. play these good sideboard cards that also have some game against Blood Moon. Being able to answer a Blood Moon is also a decent way to do it. Yes. And Wear and Tear is not completely unapplicable as a card against them because they do also kind of bring in spell skites sometimes or other cards that are artifacts that are good against you and you can use the tear part to well yeah, even with fuse, if you're, all your lands are mountains you can still destroy an artifact yeah i, I think that wear tear is great it's also pretty good now that affinity has started playing in soul artifact right. because you it, it's a card you can bring in against them that answers that as well uh so keep in mind the big thing about the twin deck is going long they don't have a way to fill up like you do their deck is all cantrips. Uh, they're right. designed to put together a combo, so that makes sense. But they don't have anything like a Sphinx's Revelation or Snapcaster Cryptic generally to pull a really strong long game together. Even though they run often Snapcaster Mage and or Cryptic Command, they can't manipulate it the same way you do. Because right. once they have 10 mana in play, they do the same thing that they do with 4 mana in play. They're just trying to twin up a guy. like right. that. That's it. So they're trying to beat you to death with their little creatures if they can't do that. And having a bunch of lands doesn't really help them. So you can flood them out. 
uh, if they have a desolate lighthouse, you want to make sure you can destroy that. Right. Because it's one of their ways to fight through that flood. Uh, and outside of that, you know, just kind of build into that long game where your deck is much more comfortable than theirs. Uh, just don't die. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that, I mean, I think that kind of breaks down the different matchups that the major matchups you need to be worried about with um, blue, white, red. And that kind of is the end of the episode. So we're wrap it up. <laughs> well, guys, I will say I learned a lot. And I also learned that I don't know a lot about modern. So well, we're going to get you there. This, this podcast will be very helpful. I would to, say to that. You and right. others like you. Definitely. I mean, you went to your first FNM last week, and now you're you're learning about blue, white, red. And, way. you know, we're going to get you there. One day yeah. we're going to have you win a Pro Tour. I, you know, I wouldn't mind top eighting a Pro Tour to start. Just start. Just start, you know. <laughs> I, I think that's a good first goal to set, you know, guys? Right, right, right. Perfect. Well, we'll get you there. I'll top eight some GPs, right? The competition's a little less fierce. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. GPs are easy. Yeah. Everybody top eight. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> who hasn't has top eight a GP? I mean, come on, guys. All right. Well, you know, thank you guys for uh, listening and, uh, you know, signing off. Uh, you can follow us at the MMCast on Twitter. And our email is actually the MMCast at rocketjump.com. Uh, you can follow me personally at Kess Wiley on Twitter. You can follow me, Glenn Jones, at Secluded Glenn on Twitter. And you can just find me at JF Wong on Twitter. He has an official Twitter account. He has a little blue check mark. I do have a little blue check mark. Someone was kind enough special. at Twitter to like be like, I think this person is a real human being. Yeah. We should <laughs> all have blue check marks. So, I, you should be able to send in your ID and they'd be like, okay, yeah, this person. Yeah, right. Once so, everybody's verified, nobody's verified, right? Oh, like, goodness. Now I'm confused. <laughs> That's true, actually. It's a dangerous road, road that we leave. Uh, I also run the uh, the Command Zone, which is a commander based podcast. Yeah, that is our sister podcast. Yeah. 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 Sister brother <laughs> podcast. Yeah, um, so you can check that all out, Rocket Chip. Yep. Beyond that, hopefully we'll be getting a little bit of a special event. We're going to try doing a Mystery Science Theater 3000-like uh, review of the Pro Tour Top 8 when it's airing for Pro Tour Cons Tark here. Yeah. That we get to commentate and be comes. buttholes and make mean comments to oh, yeah. people that can't hear us. So mean <laughs> to the people that aren't in front of us in real life. And then we're going to record <laughs> it just to make sure that they can reference it. Right. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at Kess Wiley and at Secluded Glenn. See you later, alligator.